0: Thank you, thank you, thank you for checking out the Life Church Dane County podcast. Listen, go to our YouTube page, Life Church Dane County, and subscribe. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Life Church Dane County. Let's get into the Word of God today. Amen. Amen. All right. You ready to hear from the Word today? I feel like I've already preached a little bit, but. The Lord's just getting started. You, you ready to hear from the word today? Let's do it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to speak today from your word. I thank you for your presence that has infiltrated this room and begun to saturate us right now. I pray, God, that every heart would be open, every mind would be ready to receive, and that every soul would be touched. We would not leave here the same way that we walked in, but we'd walk out ready to make a difference, ready to see you move in a new and exciting and powerful way in our lives and the lives of those around us. And if that's what you want, I'm going to say in Jesus' name, and everybody say amen if you you receive that. Amen. Well, I want to begin today with a passage of scripture that is probably the most important passage in the entire Bible. That's, no, that's saying something. There's a lot of passages in the Bible, but uh, this is probably the most important one uh, because Jesus said so. And that's not Ben's opinion, that's Jesus' opinion. It's found in the Old Testament, and it's found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there today, Deuteronomy, chapter 6 verse 4. And let me read it for you here. It says, Hear, O Israel. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, and this Lord is one Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. This little couplet of verses is what Jesus referred to in the book of Matthew chapter 22 as the greatest commandment. He said there was another one that was like it is love your neighbor as yourself. You won't get to love your neighbor as yourself if you don't get the first one right. You won't get all the Ten Commandments right until you get this first one right. Now, this, is, this is the most important one. And on these two commandments... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that all of the law and all of the prophets hinge upon those two commandments. Everything hinges on that. And so if 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 it's that important, then we must make sure that we get at least this first one right because we're not going to get the other ones completely right until we get the first one completely right. Uh, This set of verses, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, is what's known to the Jewish people as the Shema. Anybody ever heard the Shema before? A couple of of Hebrew scholars in here. All right, there you go. Uh, The Shema. Now, it's called that because in Hebrew, which the Bible, we read it in English, uh, but you can go to a different part of the world, you read it in a different language. Originally, it's written in Hebrew in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's written in Greek. So we're reading a translation of that. In the Hebrew, the word here... Listen is Shema, okay so they uh, the, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people have taken this passage it's so important and they call it the Shema, the listen verse. This is the thing that you're supposed to listen to in fact, God told Moses this verse is so important this commandment is so important that I want you to teach it to your kids. I want when your kids wake up in the morning, I want you to quoting it to your kids when you're walking with them in the in the way, on the way to school, or on the way to work, I want you to quote this to your children. When they lay down to go to bed at night, and after you've told them the story of, of uh, Moses coming out of the, uh, the wilderness, and Father Abraham, and how Adam and Eve were created in the garden, and you tell them all about God, and you tell them all these stories, I want you to also tell them Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all of your strength. I want you to actually tie it to your hands. I want you to bind it to your foreheads. I want you to always remember this, this, this passage must always be before you. Always. And uh, even today, you can go into devout Jewish homes, and you'll see on, their door, on the doorpost of their home, you'll see a little marker. And that marker is written in Hebrew, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. It's a big deal. And if it's a big deal to God, a big deal to Jesus Christ, who is God walking around in flesh, then that is something that we need to dig into. And so I want to do that today. I want to talk, focus on this passage today about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your strength. Are you okay with that? We want to just kind of dig in. You like Bible studies? Let's, let's have a little Bible study today. First of all, uh, this passage, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Now the heart is not what we think of as our beating heart. Okay, we think about heart, we think emotions, and 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 all, and that's, part, that's part of it. Okay, but to the Hebrew people, when they talked about with all your heart, this represented the seat of understanding. And they didn't think about it here in your chest, they thought about it down here in your belly. Okay, the seat of understanding of a person. It's not only our emotions, but also our thoughts and our intellect. It's how we arrive at our emotions. It's all that tied together. So, the heart. And... I want to I just kind of dig into this a little bit because it's, it's our intellectual side and our emotional side that's, that is thought of in, in this verse. And, and there's a way to get close to God through our intellect. There's a way to do that. We, we can get pretty close to God. We can get into some greater understandings of God when we think about God. And a lot of, problem, a lot of the problems we have as Christians is we don't think about God enough. But we are told in this passage that we should do that with all of our heart means, with our intellect. And and thinking is very important. We can develop philosophies and and ideas, and you can go to school to learn about philosophy and ideas, and and you can use logic and you can come to the idea that there is a God. Logically, you can just look at the world around you. You can see the order of the universe. You can ponder in your heart things like philosophy-type questions like, Why am I here? There has to be a purpose to this. There, life is meaningless if we're just a random accident. You, you can think these things and you can come to the conclusion that there must be meaning and there must be purpose and there must have been a creator. You can, you can do that. And you can study and, and you can learn and you can come up with all kinds of reasons to believe that God exists. And let me tell you, that's a good thing. The church needs intellectuals. The church needs a high level of intelligence. God didn't call us to be a bunch of dummies. Dummies. He didn't call us to be a bunch of ignoramuses. Anybody still use that word? I don't know. He he called us to to know things and to be able to articulate things and thoughts. And so uh, that's why uh, Peter wrote in the New Testament, he says, you always be ready to give a reason for the faith and the hope that you have in you. If somebody asks anything, whatever question they have, you always have a reason ready. We don't walk around in blind faith. God has called us to understand what it is that we believe and why. And to have a logical reason for it and be ready to talk about it. And so it's, and for some of us who are kind of intellectually bent, if you will, we like logic, we like to read, we like to study. That comes easy. We're like, yeah, absolutely, I'm all about it. For the rest of us, like, I haven't read a book since I don't know when. Well, pick up a book and start reading. If you need some good suggestions, you can talk to me, you can talk to Pastor Allen after church today. We'll we'll get you on the right road to learning some stuff, okay? Cuz God doesn't want you to be ignorant. He wants you to know. You can come closer to God through your mind and through your thoughts. But at some point, but at some point we have to take a step beyond the seat of our intellect. At some point, we have to go beyond just our level of intelligence and our ability to reason, uh, because our intelligence can get the best of us. I like to think that I'm a pretty smart guy. I just ask my wife, and uh, you know, I, I know everything. That's how I come across sometimes. I, I don't really, but sometimes I feel like I do, and I have to like put that in check. I'm just, is it okay to be transparent today? I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. So I, I'm just—I'm just one of those guys. Okay, I—I I think that I'm always right. Most of the time I am. But that's, that's not part of the message. Let me get back to my notes. Our intellect gets the best of us because we like to have answers. I like to have answers to stuff. I don't like people to ask me questions I don't know the answer to. I don't like to sit around and think about things that I don't know the answer that I can't figure out. And how many understand that God's mind is an infinite mind, and my mind and your mind is a finite mind? You know what that means? There are some things about God I'm just not going to understand. It's not going to happen. Not in this lifetime. Maybe when I get to eternity, I can just sit at the feet of Jesus, and he can just open my understanding for a couple of eons, and maybe I'll start to kind of get there. Okay, I'm really looking forward to that, by the way, uh, because there's, some, there's just some questions that I have sometimes, and I just don't know the answer to it, and it bugs me intellectually. It irritates me. In fact, sometimes it causes, oh, can I use the D word in church? Doubt. doubt. You're not supposed to have doubt, but we do. Why do we have doubt? Because our intellect is trying to wrestle with something infinite, and we don't understand. And because we don't understand and we think we should understand, you go, ah, I don't even know if I want to believe that. I'm telling you, you've got to get beyond just the seat of your intellect you've got to step into the realm of faith intelligence will get you there and we should serve God with our mind and with our thinking but it will only take us so far and it's okay if you have doubts I won't ask you to raise your hand today because that might embarrass you but it's okay I'm sure every single person in this room has some doubt about something I don't know I mean I read that in the bible and I'm thinking I don't know I don't get it how could that have happened I see this in the script and I'm thinking, I I don't know. I mean, is that really what that means? Okay. I'm sorry. I'm being transparent with you today. I'm a pastor. I've been studying the word of God since I was that tall. Okay. I have doubts about stuff all the time. I have a friend of mine, Pastor Scott Jones. He says that the good thing about doubt is a little doubt will keep you growing. It'll keep you growing. Because you're you're never going to arrive to the place you know it all. If you think you know it all, you don't. And you're done. Okay. So understand my doubt is just me not knowing everything. So what do I do? Dig into my doubt. What do do you do with your doubt? Walk away from God. No, 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 no. You dig into your doubt and God will begin to reveal to you how to walk in faith with him. It's okay. So study, read, ask questions. I can promise you the truth is bulletproof. I don't mind hard questions. People ask me questions all the time. I don't know the answer to. That doesn't bother me. Sometimes we think, I can't share my faith with somebody because they might ask me a question that I don't know. Well, you're going to get over that, okay? Because what's really happening is, they might ask me a question I don't know, then it'll question my faith, and then I might walk away from God altogether. So I'm just not going to evangelize. Well, no, no, no. If they ask you a question you don't know, go ask somebody else. Do a little research. Start digging a little bit. Pray about it. God will open your understanding. Dig into your doubt. The truth is bulletproof. I promise. People have been shooting at the Bible for thousands of years and they had not shot it down yet. It's bulletproof. I promise. Nobody's asked a question yet that can get rid of all the faith in the world. Can't do it. And it's not because people are dummies. There's some very smart people that are a part of the church and you should be one of them. You should work to be one of the intellectual people. But not only is our intellect important in this, we're talking about loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, it's also our emotions. That's usually the place we go when we think about our heart, emotions. And some of us really love emotional responses. We love, oh, whenever I come to church and the music starts playing and, and that singer hits a certain note or, or the preacher hits a certain level of, of decibels in the room, I get goosebumps up and down my arms, down the back of my neck, all the way to my feet, and woo, I just like that. That's an emotional response and that's okay. God is an emotional God and God designs you with emotions and through emotions, you can connect to God and you can come to faith through your emotions. A lot of times it is in a time of crisis or need that stir up these great emotions that people become receptive to hearing the gospel in the first place. How many people have come to faith in God because intellectually they were all locked up, but then something tragic happened and their emotions broke through their intellect and they were brought to faith. God uses your emotions, and so it's okay during worship to get emotional. God didn't call us to be just cold, logical, intellectual beings. He calls us to not only be thinkers, but to be feelers also. And it's okay to feel after God. But emotions... As powerful as they are, they can also be a little misleading. Because our emotions are connected to our bodies, and when you get an emotion that you like, it releases a chemical into your body, several chemicals into your body that kind of gets you addicted to it. You literally get high whenever you feel good in the presence of God. Dopamine high. You didn't think about that very much, probably, but that's true. You you actually when, when you begin to feel the presence of God, there's dopamine and and Uh, oxytocin, all kinds of things are released into your system. And you think, wow, this feels good. And your brain links it to the style of preaching that was happening and the style of worship that was happening. And so if you grew up in church, like we did, okay, there's some songs that they sing today and I'm like, "Eh, that ain't it. And there's some songs, they sing, they'll sing, start singing some of the old hymns, for example. Or there's some old choir songs that my home church used to sing. Sometimes when, sometimes when I need the Holy Ghost all over again, I just get on YouTube and I pull up my home church and I got a couple of songs that I'll type in and then there comes that song leader, there goes the organ and the choir starts swaying and the Holy Ghost comes on down. You know what I'm saying? And that's not because that song was particularly anointed. That's because that's the experience that I had when I was growing up there. And that's what my body and my emotions respond to. That's not a bad thing. Okay. Kids today won't understand. They'll have their own songs. They like, they'll have their own moments. They go back to, and that's okay. I love the old stuff. I love a lot of the new stuff too. And so our emotions can betray us because we get addicted to a certain kind of music or singing, a certain kind of preaching style. You may be thinking up here, I wish this guy would just hurry up and get done with so we could celebrate being one year old. I would rather have Pastor Allen preaching. I totally understand that because you're addicted to his preaching. You came to God under his preaching. I, I get it, that's fine. But we have to know that our emotions can betray us and learn to hear the word of God anyway. But here's a place where they really get us. And that is when our emotions are absent. You ever been in a place where you just couldn't feel God? I'm praying. I'm so angry and hurt right now. I'm like, I'm standing in my office, screaming at the ceiling. Anybody ever been there? Don't raise your hand. I have. Screaming at God. Why? What are you doing? I don't understand. And I can't feel those goosebumps. I can't feel the peace. I can't feel Your emotions will betray you because whenever you are all stirred up emotionally, sometimes it blocks the receptivity that we have to God. So our emo- we can't just rely on emotions. You can't just run- you can't just allow your faith to be run by, well, I feel it or I don't feel it. We have to get beyond our emotional seat inside of ourselves. So love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's all my thinking. That's all my emotions. I'm going to let my thoughts be on God all the time. I'm going to dig into his word and try to understand. I'm also going to give God my emotions. When I'm angry, I'm going to bring that to God. When I'm happy, I'm going to give praise to God. When I, I'm going to get emotional in my worship. I'm going to let that happen because the Bible says the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's my intellect and my emotions. Everybody follow okay? Everybody doing okay out there? All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Then we get to this next part. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your soul. All of your soul. This is the Hebrew word nephesh. And nephesh means soul. It also means life. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your life. And, and it's as long as we have the breath of God in us, we see in Genesis chapter 2 that God breathed into man, the man that he had formed out of the clay, and that man became a living soul, a living nephesh in the Hebrew. And so as long as we have the breath of God in us, as long as we are alive, we are to love God. Not just love God all of our life, but to love God with every breath that we take. All of our life. All of our thinking. All of our heart. All of our life. Uh, The story is told of a rabbi named Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva lived just a little time after Jesus. So Jesus lived and died 30-something A.D. Rabbi Akiva came around uh, just a couple of decades later. So kind of that same time period under Roman persecution. And how many know the Romans were not kind people? They crucified Jesus. They crucified lots of people. Okay, that was their thing. And they they were trying to stamp out really religion. They, They wanted it. They said, you can practice your Jewish religion. You can practice your Christian religion. Just keep it to yourself. Okay. They actually outlawed preaching in the public square. And Ben Akiva, uh, Rabbi Akiva, he said, you know, I've got thousands of students. He had like 24,000 students at the time. Very popular, like first church guy, okay. one of the early ones. And he says, they need to hear the teaching of the Torah. I'm going to teach it. You can't tell me when to do it and when not to do it. And so he went to the public square and he began to, to teach from the Torah. He got arrested by the Romans. Not just arrested by the Romans, they decided to make a spectacle out of him. And they took Rabbi Akiva to the arena, and they began to comb him. Now, that's not with a comb that we think of with your hair, okay? I have a young son who has lots of knots in his hair in the morning, so when I'm combing his hair, he's like, ow, 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 painful, okay? This is a different kind of comb. This one is an iron comb, and they combed his flesh, basically flayed him alive. And you can imagine, this is very painful, this is a terrible thing, and and he is in agony and he's crying out, and people can hear him all around the arena. And in his agony, his students were there to support him and to pray for him and all all this that that they should have done. And they heard him in his agony crying out, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength over and over and over again. And one of the students came close to him while he's being flayed alive, and they said, even now, Rabbi? Even now? And he replied back to them, loving God with all of one's soul means even if he takes your life. And he continued to repeat the Shema until his life left him. So this overarching meaning that we see from the Bible and even from the life of Rabbi Akiva is that in every moment, every thought, every emotion, every breath, even as we draw our last breath, we are to be devoted to God. And that sounds pretty comprehensive. Yes. And, And all of us here today is like, I love God with my emotions. I love God with my thinking. I love God with my life. I'm doing the best that I can. But there's more there's more. And there's another word that comes after heart and soul. And this other word is probably the key to really being able to fulfill the heart and soul commands of this passage. And it says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your might. Now, some translations say strength, strength, might. This is actually an interesting word because it's used in an unusual way in this particular verse. The Hebrew word is the word "maod," And "maod" is used about 300 times in the Bible in the Old Testament. Okay? And you, you can get your concordance out and you can see how it's translated every time. Sometimes it's translated as strength. Sometimes it's translated as might. Most of the time. 250 times approximately, so somewhere in that ballpark. 250 times it's translated as the word very. Very. Very is a very interesting word, is it not? Because that's an adverb. Normally, that's how we use it. That's how the scripture uses it. It's used to emphasize the value of another word. It's kind of weird that God would say, I want you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your very. In English grammar, that doesn't even make sense. That's why it's translated strength or might. And this word normally is used in other places like Genesis 1 and 31. It says, God saw everything he made and behold, it was very good mayod good it was not just good it was very good see it's an intensifier that's the way you're supposed to use it but in deuteronomy 6 and 5 it's used kind of like a poetic noun it's an adverb that's used like a noun which is a little different and so when it's used this way it's an emphasis on something. It's basically saying, look, you need to, you need to love, the God, love God with a little extra, with a little more energy. You need to go above and beyond. You need to put the pedal to the metal. You need to go the extra mile. One commentator, one of my favorite authors, Lois Verberg, says that another way to say this word, "mayod" is to say oomph. Oomph. Which is why I consider naming this message oomph. There it is. But I didn't. I refrained myself. So whatever you are engaged in, if it's your heart, if it's your soul, what God is actually saying is, very is an increase of that. Because God is all about the increase. I told you God was infinite. You know what that means? He just goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. He just keeps pouring out and pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. He just loves and loves and loves and loves. Whatever God is doing, he never stops doing. He is all about the increase. He just continues to increase uh, in, in our minds and in our hearts. He goes further. He takes us higher. He calls us deeper. And we see this idea of an increase and this emphasis all throughout the scriptures. And usually the way they do it is to double the words. We do this, too, in English. It's kind of interesting. We double up our words to put emphasis on them, okay? So uh, you might say in grade school, it's like, oh, you thought she was cute. Do you like her? And you're like, yeah, I kind of like her. Well, do you like like her? You doubled it. Like, and that's, that's like the, the real meaning of it. Uh, oh, your child comes and says, I'm hungry. And you're like, are you hungry, hungry? Like, you want food or do you just want food, food? Like, you, are you like, do I need to serve you a meal or a snack? That's really what you're asking. Well, we double up the words, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. I see some heads nodding. The Bible does that too. The Bible does it too. So, uh, for example, when you're studying the Old Testament, uh, Tabernacle of Moses, uh, the, there, the Tabernacle of Moses is divided up into the outer court. And then it's divided up into the holy place and the most holy place. In the original Hebrew, it's the holy and the holy, holy. And you know what's inside the holy, holy? The Ark of the Covenant where the glory of God sits, like the throne of God. You know what happens around the throne of God? Angels go around it all the time, day and night, saying, holy, holy, holy. You see the increase? As you get closer to God, things increase in intensity. And so what God is actually saying in, in this verse of the Shema, he's saying, I want you to love me with all of your heart. That's my, your emotions and your intellect. I want you to serve me with all that you're doing. That's your life, your breath. And then I want you to go further with it. I want you to come closer to me. I want to get down deeper inside of you than just what's you're thinking about and what you're feeling, and I, I want to go deeper. I want to get down into the very part of you, your very. I don't. I don't want to just be in your thoughts. I don't want to just be in your feelings. I want to get down to the place that intensifies everything. I want to get down to the adverb of your feelings and your thoughts, and I want what, to. What's that part that intensifies you? I want to get down into that place where where trauma lands. We go through traumatic things, and it changes who we are. It changes how we interact with people. It intensifies things, yes? If you know somebody that's been through trauma, they've got PTSD, sometimes they'll just be very kind and normal, and then all of a sudden, at the drop of a hat, they'll just explode. And they don't even know why they did that. They don't know, where'd that thought come from? Where'd that emotion come from? Well, it came out of their very, that's what happened. Because something got down deep inside of them and it's changed who they are. And that's where God wants to go. He can bring healing to your trauma where your therapist cannot. And therapists are good. You should, you should see one. He can get down to the place where what you've learned subconsciously, he can begin to unravel that and to bring healing to that. This is where faith dwells. Down inside, your very. uh, This is where faith lives so that even when our emotions and our thoughts betray our understanding, we still hold fast to our faith because it's who we are. Uh, You see, God, God wants us to give him not just what we're doing, not just what we're thinking, not just what we're feeling, but the why of who we are. The who of who we are. The very part of ourselves. And so God today is calling for life church. He's calling to you to be a church that understands intellect, that it has an emotional response to him, but also a church that is devoted to seeking out the very part of God and allowing him inside the very part of you. Real, true, authentic life. Not just life on the surface, Deep down, life overflowing. In Luke chapter eighteen, and I'm bringing it to a close today, Luke chapter eighteen, Jesus was approached by a man that's been called now the rich young ruler. It says this, chapter eighteen of verse uh, chapter eighteen, verse eighteen, the book of Luke. A ruler asked him, that's Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. It's a rhetorical question. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Those are the, uh, he's quoting from the Ten Commandments. This, this is what you do. And this man said to him, all of these I have kept from my youth. I'm doing it all right. I've done all the right things. I've been doing them since I was a boy. But I know there's got to be something deeper than that. That's what I'm after. I've been doing all those things. But there's something deeper. What does he feel? He's sensing that there is something beyond the intellect and something beyond the emotions, that there is something that is down in the very part of him that's still unsatisfied. What do I have to do? Jesus said, one thing you still lack. You got got the heart and the soul down. One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have. Distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. What happened was, there's something in his very that did not want to allow Jesus access. Something down in his why. Something down in his who that said, no, I can't go that far. Maybe it was a sense of achievement. Maybe, Maybe he had like this... Maybe he grew up, and he didn't have a lot of money when he was growing up, and so he worked really hard, and he made a good living, he made some good investments, and then he became very wealthy. And people looked at him like a self-made man. And he looked at himself as, look at what I have achieved. And he forgot that it's God who gives the increase. And it's God who gives the blessing to be wealthy. And it's God who gave him the mind and, the, and all that to, to do the right investments. And, all that. and So it's somewhere inside, he he just... Maybe, he, maybe that's what it was. Maybe he just had like his identity was wrapped up, his who was wrapped up in, I have to achieve. And he didn't want to allow Jesus to have access to that. And we're tempted. We're tempted to do that when we have success. Jesus, uh, seeing that he becomes sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's a hard saying. But it's a little easier to understand when we when we put ourselves in that position of, you know, I'm self-sufficient. I'm self-made. Look at what I have accomplished. Look what I had to go through to get where I am. This is my story. Look at look at how look at how great it's turned out. Look at how hard I'm working. It's easy to forget that the God who is with you in the valley is also the God of the mountaintop, too. See, some of us we struggle in the valley so hard and long for God, and when we get to the mountaintop, we're like, yes. Thank you, God, I'm on the mountaintop. And you celebrate victory. But the people that feel like they're the ones that climbed the mountain and they're the ones that, that got to the top, when they get to the top, they're like, they forget that God's at the mountaintop. And so the temptation for wealthy people is that they forget that it's God who gives wealth and like every gift, it's to be stewarded. And so this, this gentleman had allowed something to get down in his very that wasn't God. One thing you still lack, you got the heart, you got the heart, You got the soul but one thing you still lack. Those who heard it said, who can be saved? If it's that difficult for somebody who's rich to be saved, who can be saved? Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. To get down inside your very is not something you can do. It's something that God does. It's something you allow access to God. You allow Him to work on you. Right now, as I'm delivering these words, and you're thinking about them intellectually, you may be feeling some things emotionally. You may be saying, yeah, that's kind of where I am. And you're feeling like there is something deeper than this. There's, some, there's just something more than just showing up on a Sunday and clapping our hands and having a good time and learning something about God. There's something there's something more than that. It's good. We should do that. But there's some something more than that. God is... God is moving right now in this room on you. It's a spirit calling to your very, that very part of you that says, I want to go deeper than your thoughts. I want to go deeper than your emotions. I want to go down into the very part of who you are. And that's our call today, to take whatever we're doing, even if it's our all, and increase it. Dig a little deeper, push a little further. You say, how can I do that? I'm giving it all I got. Well, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And so I'm praying that today God can stir you. Let's stand on our feet right now. Today God can stir you. He can impart to you, down inside the very part of you, and, and you, you can find the urge that when you get home and you, sit, you kneel down to pray, that instead of praying for just a few minutes and you're done, God can put something inside of you today that says, oh, I, gotta pr- I need to pray just a few minutes longer. I need to stay here just a little bit longer. When, the, when it's time to give at church, I can, I can give with just a little bit more joy. I, get, I can show up and serve on Sundays with a little bit more get-to instead of a have-to. I can go ahead and I can trust a little bit longer in my storm. I can press into worship with just a little bit more passion. I can raise my voice a little louder. I can lift my hands a, a little higher. I can go a, a little further into the presence of God because God is already calling at your very I can risk loving others with just a little bit more expression. I can, I can do that. And Here's what happens when you begin to do that. It's Ephesians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And he gives them the reason that he's praying for them. He says, this reason I bow my knees before the Father. This is why I pray for you. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's your soul. Your inner being. He said, I, I want you to be strengthened in your soul so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's your hearts, that's your mind and your emotions being rooted and grounded in love, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, it goes beyond knowledge. and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, that's the very. He's talking about the very part. He said, I I want your soul to be taken care of, and I want your, your heart to be taken care of, and then I want God to do something that is in your very, the fullness of God. And then he says he's able to do far more abundantly than all. He can do more than all that we ask or think according to the power at work in us. God's not ever going to run out of supply. He's the very God. He's the God of the increased. And so if you, if you walk in today and you've been feeling lost and meaningless or just this is kind of pointless. I don't even know why I'm here. Uh, you're wondering if there's been, you know, more to life. Uh, you've done all the right things, but still here you are feeling this way. Well, he offers you right now more than you could ever do for yourself. He offers you salvation. He offers you hope that is beyond all other hope. He offers you healing through his love more than you could ever do for yourself. He offers you more than all of that. He offers you a chance to bury your past like you'd bury a dead person in the waters of baptism. He gives you his name it's better than your name, better than any other name. It's his, he gives you his identity. He gives you his purpose. When you go down to the waters of baptism and you call out the name of Jesus over you, his name is applied to your life and you take on his identity, his purpose, his mission, his meaning, his calling, you rise to newness of life. It's what he gives you. You can't do that for yourself, but he will take you further. And he's promised to pour out his Holy Spirit not just on you where you feel the goosebumps, but into you. And when the Holy Spirit goes into you and begins to come out of you, you are empowered to do something that you couldn't do yourself. He gives you a new language to praise Him and to glorify and to prophesy about Him. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 10 and 10, He says, I have come that you might not just have life, life church, but life more abundantly. Not just life, but life life. Intensified life uplifted life, a deep life. And right now the Spirit is at work in you, energizing you. You feel Him. You're sensing Him. And so I'm calling you today to let Him work deeper inside of you. You've got the chance to give Him right now. You've got, He's given you the ability to give Him more than you're all. And when you allow Him to do that, you're going to give Him the chance to take you further and to go beyond your expectations. He can do more than all. Pastor Rowan take us